super excited. And we've been in uh, this new series called Incarnational, where we're talking about uh, what it means to be on mission, to be a missional church and to be on mission everywhere we go. And I'm going to put up a map we went through last week. In case you weren't here, we sort of went through the entire Old Testament. No big deal. Uh, And we see through this map, what we talked about last week is being missional. This is not a new concept. It's uh, not started with highway. It's not just about a you and me thing. It's a God thing. God's always been on the move. He's always been on mission. Uh, God as the Trinity went on mission to create us in the Garden of Shalom. Uh, But then humans rebelled, and God then sent Abraham, and he sent his people to help him restore people back to the Shalom. Eventually, the Israelites found themselves in exile, similar to us, and being in a a Christian now in our culture, and now we are still called to be on mission. We've been working with this definition of being missional uh, that is simply this, we are sent by God, it's his mission, not ours, to leave the comforts of our lives. It's not always leaving physically, but it's leaving the comforts of our lives to go into all the spaces that we're a part of, the context, every person, and then we embody Jesus. It's not just what we do, it's who we are in order to bless, to love, to bring justice and restoration and declare the reign of God. Amen? Amen. That's what we're about. Now, today we're going to get to the next step here. Uh, After my freshman year in college, I went on my first overseas mission trip uh, to South Africa. I'd done some local missions projects um, in high school, but this is my first time where I flew across the world to do some missions work. It's full of new experiences and adventures. Uh, I had my first crepe, and I said to them, I said, isn't this just a thin pancake? And they looked at me with a face that said, you uncivilized American? <laughs> Offense taken. Uh, and then twice a day, uh, we had never done this in my Oklahoma neighborhood, we stopped working to have tea time. And they would serve us tea with biscuits. And these were different than the biscuits I grew up in the South. And uh, I said to them, aren't these just cookies? And they looked at me and they said, you uncivilized American. Offense taken. Uh, another venture I had at one point, a group of us walked down this like uh, unkept path, and no joke, true story, we got chased by baboons, which you, maybe you think that's cute or that's fine, but the tour guide had just told us an hour earlier that baboons are strong enough to rip off the arms of humans. So we were terrified. Uh, But as they chased us, they eventually got to a tourist. I watched them open up someone's backpack, and they started drinking a bottled water. Uh, This was different than the things I was used to seeing in my Oklahoma neighborhood. Uh, but the trip was was life-changing. It was invigorating. Some of you have done trips like this, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. You meet new people. You serve others. We were building a new church. We handed out toys to, to, this, uh, to kids in an orphanage. And just being immersed in another culture, it was so, uh, so life-changing. And after this trip, so much so, my new career goal, my desire was to be a missionary overseas. But then when I got back home, I was interning at, at uh, student ministries in my church, and I explained this to my boss, my desire, 
and he was a youth pastor, and I, I said how much I wanted to be a missionary. And, and when he asked why, we had this illuminating discussion. Uh, I said, well, the reason why is the need is so great over there, especially for kids. And uh, he proceeded to point out that our current church that we were working at was in one of the most low-income areas of Oklahoma City. Literally across the street, uh, there was a junior high in which many of the students' parents were were gang members. It was rough. Uh, They'd often come over and hang uh, hang out with us after school. We'd have to break up a lot of fights. And he said to me, he said, there's a pretty great need right there. And then he pointed out, he reminded me of this, uh, there was a widow in our church who lived across the street. And her husband had died earlier that year. We had done some stuff in her backyard. And he said to me, he said, her needs are pretty great right now. Down the road was downtown Oklahoma City, which had a lot of folks who were unhoused. And we would sometimes go there and we'd buy some Subway sandwiches and we'd hand them out and we'd just talk to them. And he said, their needs are really great. He reminded me, I was in college at the time, and literally across the hall from me were people in dorms that were lonely, anxious about the future, looking for a place to belong, something to believe in, where were their needs not great. It's such an illuminating conversation because it began sinking into me. I didn't have to travel across the world to be missional. I only had to travel across the street. My eyes were open to the needs that were right in front of me. And to be crystal clear this morning, uh, I do believe some people are called to overseas missions. I'm a big fan of that, or to other cultures. I actually believe short-term trips like this can be meaningful and beautiful, but here's the deal. Sometimes, sometimes it's easier to serve people across the world or across town than it is to serve the people across the street. It's easier to go somewhere foreign or different to serve than it is to serve those right in front of us. And we often, in our minds, we have a picture of what a needy person looks like or talks like. But what if there are needy people right in front of us? And this is one of the, one of the ways the concept of being on mission can be misunderstood. But we remember our, our core verse for this series, John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into, let's all say this out loud together, moved into the neighborhood, the neighborhood. Being incarnational is immersing yourself in your place, your culture, your surroundings, your neighborhood. This is the next part of our our missional map here. This was the next step in God's mission. Uh, He sent Jesus to a neighborhood. Jesus came to the world, not in theory, Not abstractly, he was born in a specific culture, place, and context. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I think about these kind of things a lot. Uh, But we have a lot written about Jesus from the time he was 30 to about 33. But we have almost nothing written about him before this. Uh, In the book of Luke, there's a little bit written about Jesus when he was 12 years old, studying the scriptures, and he got lost because he was hanging out in his father's house which I don't know about you, that's not what I was doing at 12 years old. Uh, that's pretty much all we have. Nothing else about what did Jesus do. Uh, so I don't know. Have you thought about this? Like, uh, what did Jesus do for 30 years? We remember he was fully human, so we can safely assume 
Uh, he did things like eating meals with his family. He played with kids in the neighborhood. He did some carpentry apprenticing. It's just fascinating to think about. But the point is this, for 30 years before he even started his public ministry, what did God incarnate do? He immersed himself into the daily life, the context and culture. He put on flesh and blood, and he literally moved into the neighborhood. So what does this mean for us today? As we talk about moving into the neighborhood, I want us to look at a story Jesus told while living on earth. And it's one of the most beloved and legendary scriptures, but I want to share with you why it can often be a little problematic. Uh, so we're going to look at the Good Samaritan story in Luke ten twenty five, uh, And you can find it on your phones. We're going to have it on the screens as well. So this religious leader asked Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must love the Lord with all your hearts, your mind, soul, and strength. And this would have been familiar because this was a part of what's called the Shema, which was a daily prayer for the Israelites. But then he adds to the Shema by saying this, and you must also love your neighbor as yourself. Now we get to the text. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on them, and then he went on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. And Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who, uh, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go. And do likewise. Now, this is a legendary story for a reason. We could all read this every day and gain something from it. It's so powerful, speaks to the many ways how we often miss the needs of others. But, like I said, I, if we're not careful, I think this can be problematic for one, one specific reason. I still remember hearing this story when I was a kid in Sunday school. And the teacher uh, asked us, uh, she said, who is your neighbor? Now, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, so I raised my hand and I said, the mailman, Mr. McFeely. <laughs> she said, no, you're delusional. Uh, but other kids took some guesses, and they're very practical. They named their actual neighbors they were, they were next to. And after many guesses, though, she told them the correct answer. Uh, she said this, she said, everyone is your neighbor. Every person, whoever you come into contact in the world, they are your neighbor. So in this case, the concept of a neighbor, it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for any human anywhere. And I agree with this in theory, but here's the problem. When we aim for everything, we hit nothing. 
When we aim for everyone, we hit no one. Another way to say it, if everyone is our neighbor, no one is our neighbor. The, the word sort of loses its, its meaning. And I think everybody, all of us can agree, we should love our neighbors in theory, but often that takes our eyes off our actual neighbors across the street. And really, uh, neighbors can be such a broad, and it's an abstract term, we can use it to justify ourselves, or we can use it as an excuse not to follow the greatest commandment in reality. I give money to a nonprofit overseas, or I serve on occasional trips, but I miss the people in my proximity, in my context. So I wonder... What if Jesus wasn't just meaning this story to be metaphorical? What if he meant like our literal, actual neighbors? Uh, This summer, I went to Denver with a a group of ministers from across the world, and I met with this pastor named Jay. And he he co-wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring. He he told us a story from 2009 when when he and 19 other pastors in Denver, they met with the, the mayor of Denver, to try and understand how they could better serve the community. And the mayor, the mayor told them this, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or just drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors, a community of great neighbors. He, he talked about so many people would come to the government with social problems, and he wanted the government to start more programs. They wanted the, them to start more programs. Uh, but he said repeatedly what they had found is that relationships, long-term relationships, were way more effective than any programs. And so Jay, this pastor, he was talking to us, and he told us how shocking and embarrassing it was when the reality struck. They had brought the mayor in, for advice, and he essentially told a group of pastors that what is needed most is to create communities who love their neighbors as themselves. Sort of feels like something someone else said at one point. The next day, they brought in an assistant city manager who told them this harsh reality. She said this, from the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. And he talked about the conviction these pastors felt, realizing this was the opposite of what Jesus had specifically taught about. And as he talked, I felt this conviction rising in me. In case you think I'm preaching at you this morning, I know that's what it can seem like a lot because I'm on stage, i got a microphone. But being authentic, uh, a lot of times I can be like the religious leaders in the story that Jesus told hurrying off to do my important religious work. It's easier for me to love and serve people broadly in a sermon or serving project than serving my neighbor right next to me. So then, Jay did this experience with us that sort of added to my conviction, but also was very inspiring. Uh, He showed us uh, this image I'm going to show you. It's these nine squares. And uh, it's a pretty simple concept. The middle box in those squares, that's your home. And the eight surrounding boxes, those are like your nearest neighbors. And so what he challenged us to do, he said, first, I just want to see if you can write down the names of your eight nearest neighbors. Then if you can do that, the next step was like to write some kind of fact or detail about them. 
not just stuff you observe from a distance like they drive a motorcycle, uh, but their job or a hobby they have. Then if you can go to the next step, the third step is like name one thing, like an in-depth fact, like a goal they have or a fear or a belief that they have. Now, I'm knowing you guys, this perfect church that I serve, I'm sure all of you would get these perfectly. But when I was sitting around with this group of ministers from across the world, we looked at each other and we were like, oof, like this is tough. This is tough. And so actually right now, I've got a group of folks who are going to help me. We're going to actually hand you out. Uh, everybody's going to get this sheet of paper. I'm not actually asking you to feel, fill this out in this moment. Uh, but we are going to ask you and challenge you to bring this home. Can we find it? Did I misplace it? We found it. That's great. So here's my challenge to you. Don't fill it out now. I'm going to ask you to bring this home and put it on your fridge. Just hang it up there. And if once you get home, if you know some of the names already, some of the details, you can start filling it out. But what I want to challenge our community with and to be clear, me as well, our family, is in the next six months, I want us to be able to fill out all eight boxes with at least the names. Maybe more information if you can, but at least the names in the next six months. And just FYI, if you have your neighbors over for dinner, maybe take it off the fridge. (laughs) I was just thinking about that. Like, it could be a little creepy. They're like, what are you, are you planning a coup in our neighborhood? What's going on? Uh, But the challenge is just uh, start with the names. And then maybe beyond the names, the other challenge in the next six months, what if we just start praying for these people? What if we just started praying for them every day? We read this scripture last week from Jeremiah that uh, calls us to be diligent about praying for the welfare of our city in our neighborhoods. When we talk about being missional, this is at the heart of it. We, we want to serve in other areas. We want to do serving projects. We're going to talk about that uh, later in the series. But at the core, what will have the greatest impact is to serve the people directly in front of us. You might have some questions and some problems with this. Maybe you live in an apartment or maybe your house is not close to other houses, or, or you're an introvert, or your neighbors are never outside, or you're too busy, or you're afraid. These are great issues. Uh, I would say let's figure them out together. I have some of these issues as well, but I'm determined to figure them out to be on, on mission. Now, one last very practical application, and then we're going to hear from a couple of the folks in our community. Uh, The final thing I want to ask you while engaging in this neighborhood challenge is this, to become a master observer of your context. I'm sure there's a catchier phrase for this. I couldn't come up with one. A master observer of your context. So when a missionary is sent out to an area, uh, what they are taught to do is to be an anthropologist of the context, to study, to immerse themselves and observe the norms, the patterns, the problems, and the opportunities. And this is what we need to be in our neighborhoods. Observe the needs and the opportunities. Is there an area in your neighborhood that's gathering trash and the neighbors are complaining about it? Is there a fallen tree 
It's so, in an elderly person's yard. Are there a lot of people with dogs in your neighborhood? Are there a lot of soccer fans in your neighborhood? We start by just being a master observer, seeing these opportunities. And then the next step is we just imagine with Jesus. We observe and then we imagine. If you have a lot of soccer fans in your neighborhood, maybe you just throw a watch party for a big uh, soccer match. If you have a lot of people with dogs, maybe you could start a weekend dog walk. Could you organize a trash pickup on a day? The ideas are endless. That's part of the beauty. It's exciting to think how God might stir ideas in us once we see the great needs all around us. And now, I'm doing what many thought impossible. I'm ending my sermon early so uh, we can hear from a couple of members in our community. And so I'm going to invite Jana up right now. And uh, let's give it up for Jana, everybody. Nice. So uh, for those who don't know you, you want to tell us a little bit who you are, how you came to Highway? Sure, yeah. Um, Jana Anders. I came to Highway, I always do it off my daughter's age, about 10 years ago when she was two. And um, I still remember walking right through this airway, uh, this Air, um, area here, and Julie Peterson was the first person that came up to me. Many of you know Julie, and made me feel so welcome. Um, and I just knew I was at home when I came here. And a lot of what attracted me was the mission uh, focus of the church. Mm, nice. Uh, well, I one of the reasons I wanted to hear from your story a little bit. Someone told me a little bit of what you had experimented with before COVID, and it just seemed to fit what we were talking about. How. Uh, we become observers. We try to locate problems, opportunities, and then just try to brainstorm and become creative with ideas. So, uh, yeah, you want to tell us a little bit about this scenario, something you tried? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say actually a scenario kind of came out of Highway in the fact of uh, two ways. Uh, my small group read the book When Helping Hurts, and that really opened up some ideas about asking questions and learning and then also, um, I went through Seth Dixon's, one of his courses, and he really challenged us, where's your heart? You know, where do you want to serve? Um, and through that, I did some work with Reach Potential, uh, which is now Reach SV. Many of you know them. And um, I learned from Malia uh, the importance of being able to read by fourth grade. And if you cannot read by fourth grade, that's when you start to learn through reading, and it really holds kids back. And it was pretty amazing um, what happens if you, you don't have that milestone then. So through Helping Hurts, I learned to, you should ask first. Mm. And so I went to Julia's teacher. She was in a school uh, where we had a lot of kids. It's a school where you go, um, if you speak Spanish, to learn English. If you speak English, to learn Spanish. And asked the teacher, what can we do? Just trying to be curious. And she said there were two things that were really challenging for the kids. Um, number one, she said, you'll be surprised, is food insecurity. So, you know, this is Mountain View, and we just think everybody has enough food to eat, she said, but it really is a challenge. Um, and number two was a lot of the teachers, um, excuse me, a lot of the parents um, couldn't read in English or Spanish. So the kids would come home with homework in either subject, and the, kids could, uh, the parents couldn't support the kids. So through that, we decided, me and a friend of mine, she's primarily spoke Spanish. I primarily spoke English. We decided to hold some just reading under the tree where we would bring food after school, invite the kids, and read with them. And as I told Adam, I'd love to say it was like magical, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And um, But actually, it was kind of hard because 
I'm not a reading teacher. And um, I realized very quickly that there are skills <laughs> to learning how to read. Um, so that put a bit of a, what do we do next? We started brainstorming, came up with some great ideas um, uh, to do an after-school program, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so all of our great ideas just kind of went away because we couldn't do it in person. And to me at that time, I thought, well, it's kind of ruined because I can't connect with the kids. It's not going to work how I want it to. Um, but God is always interesting in how he works. Um, I met a wonderful person named Tamara. You know Tamara. Um, and she is excellent at reading and understanding reading research. And uh, we were able to do some things virtually for the kids. And they were pretty, some pretty amazing things where the kids were able to get books in their hands, able to learn some important skills. They were able to hear from people in the community that would read to them in English and Spanish um, these books virtually through Zoom. Um, so it was a nice go where God leaves you and what happens in the circumstances story. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, another question, a lot of times, like when some of us come up with an idea like this, brainstorming, you know, we'll bump into fears, insecurities, unknown. So just curious if you, you're okay with it, just talking through like, yeah, how did you wrestle with some of that and have the courage to at least try something? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would definitely say that the fear of I'm not really good at teaching children, and I actually teach Sunday school, so I shouldn't say that. I'm not good at teaching reading to children, um, that I realized it just was a skill that I didn't know that, you know, between it was interesting being a parent of two different children and seeing how they learned to read. It was very different, and I learned a lot through that too. Um, so the fear of I just don't have the expertise for this. Um, and I think also just the hesitation of how to show up and use my talents um, and I think through that experience, I did learn where, where God had given me gifts and where I could lean in and, and where I needed help. Um, and I needed a lot of help, which was nice. There were people to partner with on the way. Yeah, great. Any last words for our folks here? Just specifically how to notice opportunities, how to have some courage to just try something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny what you said. Observe was huge. Um, asking, that was a really mm. big takeaway for me instead of assuming. Just asking how I can show up and help. Um, and I just learned recently that's how we ended up doing those the RV parks is we asked as a spiritual community, how can we help? Um, and then I think the last thing was having a partner. You know, there were times when I felt discouraged, but when you go out partnering with other Christians or other people that have um, a love of serving their neighbors really helps in those tough times. Cool. All right. Can we thank Jana, everybody? All right. And then uh, we're going to hear from one more, Tina. Tina out. Tina's right there. Oh, okay. Come on up, Tina. Yeah, and uh, as she gets up here, you know, we've mostly been talking about serving like outside the church, um, but I wanted to talk to Tina because she is serving another group that's like right in front of us, and so I'm excited to hear about that. But Tina, tell us uh, how you got involved with the highway. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tina. Um, I started coming to Highway when I moved up here around like 2017, I think. Um, I was more of like the stealth ninja for the first like six months of the year. I'd like sneak in through that door and then sneak out through that door. Um, and then like John still knew my name somehow. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then I got a little bit more involved in like 2020, 2021, when Julie connected me with my formation group. And then from there, I kept getting more and more involved. Cool. Yeah. 
So you serve in student ministries, and that's an area of our church that's like right in front of us. So maybe tell us how you got involved a little bit, the needs that are there, and uh, yeah, just how your heart lights up for that. Yeah, so I work with youth um, in my job. I coach equestrian, and so I work with ages like sixth grade through 25. I still consider that youth, kind of. Um, I think anyone with kids knows that. Um, So, and I've always liked working with kids. And when I had Richie in my formation group, he kind of talked a little bit about what some of the needs were. And it just seemed like a really nice way for me to get involved and work with youth in a setting that was outside of what I was doing. So it was just a really nice, like, almost like convenient way to do it. And I was free on Wednesday nights and it just seemed like a nice opportunity to serve and um, get to know some of the youth in our group. And I've never done it outside of like volunteering for a Sunday school here or there. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, Well, often I worked in student ministries for a long time. Often a barrier that people say for working with students is like, I'm too old, (laughs) which I feel right now (laughs) because... They'll say these catchphrases. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Uh, or, um, you know, maybe I don't have the energy or I don't have all the answers. Yeah. So if you don't mind sharing, like, how have you wrestled with those kind of insecurities or just being able to serve when you have your own doubts? Yeah, I um, definitely am not, like, the type of person who uh, loves meeting new people. <laughs> it gives me a ton of anxiety. <laughs> um, and that includes kids because... I think, like, younger people are just very, like, honest with how they're feeling in the moment. And being, I think it's called cringe, Mm -hmm. uh, is a very real fear, I think, of any adult. Um, And so I just kind of, like, stepped into it just being, like, honest of being nervous and, like, trying to get to know them and them being, like, who's this weird person and knowing that it's going to maybe take, like, six months to a year for them to, like, know my name, um, which is totally okay. And... Um, but just kind of showing up, and I remind myself, too, that I'm in my, like, late 30s, and so just, like, automatically I'm an old person to them and, like, might be cringe to them, and that's okay. They kind of, like, almost expect it, and so that's fine. Um, But it really was, like, what would motivate me to keep coming, even if I was, like, nervous or unsure how it would go, um, was that it's just about, like, showing up each time and just letting them know that, like, you're there and you're going to keep being there. And that's like, I think Lisa mentioned to us that it takes about a year to really like be involved in them to be like, oh, that's Tina. Like I can go talk to her and it just, it's just showing up. Yeah. Cool. Uh, One last quick question. We're going to actually hear from some students last week. They want to do an actual announcement to you guys. So I'm excited about that. Uh, But can you just tell us some of the practical needs that student ministries has Yeah, so the cool thing about this, why the whole reason I'm up here is because our students actually came to the leaders and were like, we really need more people because we switched from doing every Wednesday night to every other Wednesday night. And they were the ones who came to us asking, like, how can we make it happen more? What can we do? Um, And so that's really what we're looking for right now is just more people to volunteer with our amazing youth group, um, which is sixth grade through high school. And we would love to have more people so that we can offer every week Wednesday nights 
to them. And it's just a great opportunity for them to just have another moment to like check in, be around their church friends, their church community, feel supported um, and loved and cared for uh, at that time and play games and have a ton of fun, which is really like mm. games and snacks is a huge part of this. So um, we're just talking about the practicality of it is we meet at like 7.30, we do snacks, we hang out, play some games, um, and then we'll do a lesson and then meet in small groups, just kind of talk about their day, talk about their lives, which is just really important to just be there and listen um, and not have all the answers, which is totally fine. I don't think they expect me to have any answers, actually. Um, and just then get to, you know, if there's time, get to pray with them um, and just try to shower them in God's love. So that's kind of the practicality of it. It's every other Wednesday right now. We'd love to go to every Wednesday. If you are interested in helping, which we would love, um, we have a game night. I think it's like February 2nd, Friday, um, where it just would be a great time to just kind of get to come meet some of the kids in their favorite environment, which is playing games and just getting to be themselves um, for a couple hours and so yeah it'd be a great opportunity that's great yeah. all right thanks thanks, thanks tina let's thank tina everybody that's great well i'm aware that uh there are many of you in our community that are doing these kinds of things and serving in ways we don't even know maybe we do know uh, but it's just important that we share stories. So the rest of the series, we're going to try to highlight some other stories in our community or like projects, uh, nonprofits that we're working with. Um, but yeah, just thank you for all that you are doing, even if we don't know about it.